I know exactly how I contributed Mm -hmm. to that breakup by really depending on someone else for my happiness. Yeah. Looks like you've officially entered the group chat with your best friends. My name is Ali Pantucci, and this is the Unfiltered Podcast, the place where we leave the heavily filtered world of social media to talk about anything and everything uncensored. From personal wellness to entrepreneurship, spirituality, sex, surviving breakups, and hilarious girl talk in between, this is the space for important conversations that women should be having with their best friends. So pour yourself a glass of whatever makes you feel good, sit back, and join me as I navigate adulthood with real, unfiltered conversations. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Unfiltered with Allie. My name is Allie, and uh, I'm coming off the tail end of podcast burnout here, you guys. I did used to hear a lot of people speak about this, um, how quickly podcasts die, um, or when people kind of get to that 40 to 50 episode range, they kind of hit this wall of like, what am I doing? And I'll be fully transparent with you guys. I hit that wall and I started questioning what I was doing if people were listening and you know, all of that crazy negative self-talk, but I was really, really pumped to also realize that we've passed 25,000 downloads and I never could have really expected that. I love hearing the feedback from you guys. Um, so please send me what you think of the show, whether it's little love notes or whether you think that there's something that I can improve on, or maybe there's a topic that you're dying to have on the show, um, or maybe a specific guest that you'd like to have on the show. Send all that stuff my way. Um, but we have some awesome episodes that have been batch recorded, and I'm excited to start pumping those out for you. Today, we dive into a very requested topic. We dive into a highly requested topic, and that's more on relationships and specifically breakups. And I kind of open up in this episode. I have in quite a few episodes, um, but I talked to our guest today who is an expert on breakups. And not only do I share stories of past relationships, but we also have some nice coaching moments that I think a lot of you guys will be able to relate to. And We focus a lot on not only how to handle breakups, but we talk about codependency, we talk about attachment styles, and how you can actually understand what your current patterns are, and how you can work to rewire those to set you up for better success in future relationships, or maybe you're in a bit of a rut and you're looking to upgrade or make tweaks to your current one. So I'm pumped to introduce this week's guest. Her name is Amy Chan, and she is the founder of Renew Breakup Bootcamp, a retreat that takes a scientific and spiritual approach to healing the heart. She's also the editor-in-chief of the Heart Hackers Club, an online magazine that focuses on the psychology behind love, lust, and desire. The Observer calls her a relationship expert whose work is like that of a scientific Carrie Bradshaw. We love this. P.S. I've been binge watching Sex in the City. I started it all from the beginning again, and I'm obsessed, so we love this. <laughs> and her company has been featured across national media, including Good Morning America, Vogue, Glamour, Nightline, and the front page of the New York Times. Her book, Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart, was published by HarperCollins and is available now. And today, Amy Chan is hanging out on the show. I'm so excited for you guys to listen, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. If it's something that resonates with you, if it's something that you feel your friends or family or people in your circle would benefit from, hit that share button, send it around, share it to your Instagram stories, and um, like always, please reach out in my DMs, send me an email. I love hearing what you guys think of the show. And again, if you haven't joined the Facebook group, join the Facebook group. You can get the link in my bio via my Instagram at Unfiltered with Allie. So let's go. Let's start this week's episode. Hi, Amy. Hello. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you on today. I think this is a very juicy conversation that a lot of women are going to relate to. And anytime I post about like requesting feedback from the community. So like, who do you want to see or what do you want to speak about? Relationships, breakups, those are always like very highly requested topics. 
And I know that when it comes to navigating breakups and overcoming them, you're one of like the queens. (laughs) So I'd love for you to take a second to tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do and also your story of how you got to be where you are today. Yeah. So I'm uh, the founder of Renew Breakup Bootcamp. We take a scientific and spiritual approach to healing the heart. Um, And I have physical retreats and virtual breakup bootcamps where we bring in a team of the top relationship experts from psychologists to behavioral scientists to sex educators. We even have a dominatrix who has a PhD who teaches on the psychology of power dynamics. And yeah, we, and we deep dive, not just about the breakup, right? I mean, you know, people come to my bootcamp or they read my book because they sometimes are going through a breakup and it's never just about the ex. There's often recycled pain and there's compound trauma. And sometimes that big breakup, um, you know, the infidelity, the, oh my God, I didn't see it coming Mm -hmm. is really just like, the tipping point when everything explodes. Mm -hmm. So um, that's what I do. I work in heartbreak all day long um, and really about like relationship patterns. I'm the author of Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewind Your Heart. It's been published by HarperCollins just last month. And um, I got here because love was the one part of my life I couldn't figure out. My entire life, I swear to God, I was like heartbroken since I'm like a kid struggling all the time. And it was really, I was in a relationship uh, with someone when I was in Vancouver and I thought this was the one and Mm -hmm. I thought I was living the dream. Uh And, you know, to (laughs) me, the dream was date, get married, have kids. And he was an entrepreneur. So I was like, cool, like I'll eventually, you know, write on the side for fun. So everything was mapped out for me. And when that relationship fell apart, I fell apart because my entire identity was him and us and this Mm -hmm. whole future that was set. And I spiraled into depression. I went to a really dark, dark place. And, um, you know, I, I slowly but surely was able to heal from that. It took time and it took a lot of work. And when I got to the other side, I realized how many people are struggling with this and don't feel any hope. They feel helpless. And what happens when they don't have the support system that I did? Because I know each one of us, we're we're only a couple decisions away from doing something completely destructive. And when you're in this headspace of like, this pain is never going to end, it's a very scary place to be. Mm -hmm. And that's why I realized I have to be the one to create a breakup boot camp, a safe space for people not only to come and heal from the past, but to learn about their patterns so they don't keep repeating the same, you know, heartbreak over and over again. So here I am now. And, you know, just so you know, me and my ex are actually really good friends and he jokes he should have shares in my company. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Well, I love, I love that share. And the, the best part about it is your story is very common. Yeah. It's very, very common. And I've been through it. A lot of women have been through it. Men have been through it. We've all been, we've all, I feel like a lot of us have had that, that one breakup, you know, I, I think it's great what you're doing because I don't know, maybe obviously you go through multiple heartbreaks in your life, but it's not until I went through like the, the heartbreak that I realized I was like, holy shit. Like I I thought I'd been through a breakup before and one of them just rocked me. Yeah. But I also felt it was the biggest rock because it was the relationship that held up the mirror, the strongest. Mm So it's not that I was just navigating a heartbreak Mm -hmm. and a huge life change. It also in that mirror, I could see like, I knew exactly why that relationship ended. And now in hindsight, it's very easy to say it's because I know exactly how I contributed Mm -hmm. to that breakup by really depending on someone else for my happiness. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Codependency. is a bitch. Yeah, I hear you. (laughs) But I would actually love to start off by talking about codependency because I think it's a term that people have heard, but I don't actually think a lot of people have actually taken the time to digest it, to realize, oh my gosh, maybe I struggle with that in some aspect of my life, even if Mm -hmm. I'm not in a relationship. 
with like a romantic relationship. So can we start off by touching on codependency a little bit, what it is and how that kind of manifests in someone's life? Yeah, I think for for people listening, like if you um, have a tendency to place a lot of your identity and sense of self-worth and acceptance on someone else's validation of you, mm-hmm. um, that's a sign, right? There's all these different signs of it. Another is you have a tendency to merge when you are in a relationship. Um, instead of having your own identity, another person having their identity and you join up and, um, and you know, two complementary circles, you're kind of like, well, I need this other half to kind of complete me. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of you feel whole only when you are with a, in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're in the relationship, there's, the stakes are super high. So you might be, you know, in a state of anxiety and fear of losing that relationship losing that connection. Because if you do, that's kind of like a foundation that you set yourself up to stand on. Um, And and I find that, you know, there's different terminology, like from codependence, love addiction, anxious attachment style, they some kind of merge and I I don't like kind of with with each other. Um, Sometimes you can enter those labels are interchangeable. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it's really, you know, what is your one of our love coaches talks about this a lot. What's your relationship to relationship, right? And that goes across the board um, from friendships to romantic relationships. Are you the overgiver? Are you the, you know, constantly pleasing? Are you editing yourself in order to be loved? Are you trying to earn someone's attention and love? Um, And seeing is that healthy is it coming from a place of abundance and love or is it coming from a place of fear? Um, usually a place of fear of abandonment and rejection. Yeah. That's a lot to unpack as well, because I don't think a lot of people are actually aware of that behavior until it gets to like either an explosion of some Mm. sort or it'll manifest into like feeding stories you create about yourself. So like, of course Mm. this always happens to me or like, Oh, of course. You know what I mean? It's just like you kind of stay in choosing things that validate those stories that you say about yourself. Yeah. And like if you also didn't have a healthy model of of love growing up, right? right. Like I know I didn't. And um, my my mother had a really toxic relationship with my father. And I became the therapist um, at age right. six. And so, you know, I took on a role that I wasn't supposed to have and I would feel guilt. I would take on my mother's feelings and I would try to fix them. I would try to protect. I would stand up against my father. I remember one of my earliest memories was hitting him with chopsticks before I could even speak because I took on that role. And so if you don't learn how to interrupt that pattern, if you don't learn that, oh, this actually isn't healthy, you think that's normal. And so you keep doing it over and over again until things keep blowing up and you're like, wait a minute here, what's going on? Yeah, who's the common denominator in this situation? (laughs) I ask myself that question a lot. Okay, something's going on here and I'm starting to think it's maybe me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, let's unpack this. Let's unpack this a little bit. I think it's, I never actually realized I had codependency issues and I wouldn't say I was like, yeah, actually I'm going to go ahead and say it. I. Now, in hindsight, I was codependent in that last relationship. I What I do find fascinating is how it happened. Mm. Because prior to that, I had a heartbreak prior to that, but a couple years prior, and I kind of made a vow to myself after that, that I was just going to go out and be the happiest version I could of myself. I was going to do things that made me happy. I was going to do things for me and just kind of be okay with being alone. And for a while that meant like not actually dating people and not actually having physical intimacy with people Mm -hmm. because I was committed to that journey. And then I met my next partner. And of course that's like, that's like the energetic mating call, you know, when you're just When you're just like so confident, so on alignment, you don't give a shit about anybody else. You're just like, I'm out here living my best life. That confidence and that way of living attracts, like makes you quite attractive to people. And I'm going to say it was safe to say that that's how I attracted my ex. Mm. 
but I don't know where in that relationship that switch happened Mm -hmm. where I was like, I'm not, I just stopped doing the things that made me happy. Yeah. And how did codependency show up for you in that relationship? Yeah, it showed up for me in a few ways. I, you kind of talked about it, having your own lives, not having your own lives and merging. I felt like I gave up or I stopped putting attention in a lot of the things that I did in my own life. And it was always like, what are we doing? Mm. What are we doing? You know, it's like, this is my boyfriend. Like, what are we doing? And other ways that I, I think started surfacing, there was there was an instant where I actually started to feel insecurity in the relationship. Mm. And as soon as the insecurity surfaced and I wasn't getting, like, you know, I felt like I was giving a lot, but I wasn't getting a lot in return. It stemmed insecurity. And then that's just a nasty feeling in a relationship because you go into that attachment style that you just referenced, Mm -hmm. you know, that anxious attachment. Like, oh my God, what am I going to, you know what I mean? And there was a point around that time when that started happening that I did think the relationship was going to end and it continued. And ultimately, in the end, of course, it did not work out. And so much love for my all of my exes and the experience that I gave, for, uh, like that I personally gained and grew from or grew with. But I just have no idea where, I guess that's what I kind of work through. It's like, at what day in that relationship did I wake <laughs> up and say, I'm not going to do what I want to do anymore. Like, why does that happen? Why do we do that? Yeah, I think that's a great question that a lot of people ask themselves. How did I get here, right? I deal with a lot of people during a breakup. They're like, I feel like the rug has been ripped out from underneath you. And and I'm like, okay, well, let's take a few steps back. How did you get to a place where the very Uh foundation of what you're standing on was someone else? And so disempowerment happens death by a thousand cuts. It's not like, you know, you go from one day living your best life to the, to meeting someone being like, okay, I'm going to sign up, but I'm going to completely merge with you. Um, I'm going to feel super <laughs> anxious when you don't want to connect and you're going to pull away a bit more. Um, and, you know, I'll kind of change my schedule to when it's, you know, you have flexibility in yours because uh-huh. I don't want to like, I'm so afraid that if I don't change it, then you just won't see me. Right? I'm a cool girlfriend. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it, it doesn't happen like in in like one switch, right? It happens really slowly. It happens at first time. You're like, you know what? This time I'm not going to see my girlfriends, even though we had it planned because, you know, he had an availability in his work schedule. He's going to be busy. And then the next weekend and then the next, right? It happens so slowly. And then you get a new comfort. You have a new baseline of of, oh, okay, this is now comfortable for me. But each step, you know, you're getting further and further away from Mm -hmm. you as this autonomous being. And I think that there is some sort of, you know, obvious, you know, merging of lives. But I think, you know, for people who have uh, a history of codependence, me, myself, you know, included, I still need to remind myself in my current relationship to actually have balance. And so, you know, I do this exercise at the boot camp and it's also in the book. I tell people to draw a circle and in that circle, divide that into slices of pie and Mm -hmm. how much of that pie was devoted to the relationship. And usually it's, I see it's 50, 70, 80, 90% was devoted to the we, right? If you're going through a breakup, then you have that much of a gap. You have to fill up with activities or you'll fill up with thoughts of your ex. And then you draw another pie. And what is your ideal pie, right? Is there, you know, community? Is there education? All these things. And then if you have patterns of codependency or anxious attachment style, have that as a visual and look back at it because, you know, you're otherwise are going to get swept into the emotions and that pattern of behavior that was so normal for you. And it's going to take, you know, consistent, intentional, strategic effort to break those old patterns. And, you know, the temptation, right. That happened, Ali, when you talked about how you felt insecure, right. This happens a lot. We feel insecure that we push for more connection. Then the other person feels that anxiety and is like, oh my God, like I'm feeling pressure. I'm feeling smothered. Go away. And it's, it's like counterintuitive. And that just kind of creates more and more of a power divide. And then we find ourselves you know, for every one step they're taking, we're taking three to make up for their lack of steps. 
yep. (laughs) (laughs) You're saying that, I'm like just replaying. I want to say my last relationship, but so many of them, because like we talked about, unless you actually become aware of these patterns, they will literally keep repeating. Yeah. Over and over and over again. So with the clients that you work with, how many people are you finding are coming to you single and they're like, okay, now I need to, I need to work on this. I need to change this thought pattern versus how many people are you actually dealing with in a relationship that are like, okay, I'm noticing this pattern, but I, I, I want to work on it together. I deal with, so 30% of the people who come are actually uh, in an off again, off again, on again, off again relationship. They're on um, a break. <laughs> yeah. And it's usually a toxic pattern. Usually yeah. there are, you know, their partner displays uh, characteristics of narcissism um, and they can't get out of that dynamic, even though on a logical cognitive level, they know it's toxic. So I'm helping those people kind of get through that hump so that they can finally get over, like move forward from this person once and for all. Um, then I would say, you know, the majority are people who have either a breakup or divorce sometime between, you know, three to the last three months to the last year. Um, and they're kind of in different stages of, of healing, um, but really want to learn about their patterns. Um, and then, yeah, I get sometimes people who are in a relationship and like, look, there's nothing per se wrong, but I don't want that old stuff to catch up. I can start feeling it come, you know, that baggage creeping up on me and I don't want to fuck this up. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild how complex this is considering it's so simple. You're like, keep your own life. That's what always blows my mind. I'm like, you have fun going to volleyball and like hikes and like doing these things, right? Like, why do you stop? Mm. Why? And I think, yeah, you're right. Like you brought up attachment style, but even like before codependency, I feel like majority of the people know nothing about attachment style. Like if you were to throw that term out there, What's your attachment style? I feel like 90% of people would give you a blank stare. Right. Yeah. I just find it so wild that we really don't get to learn a lot of this stuff unless we're kind of coming from that place where like, I'm in pain. Okay. Like, what's wrong with me? Like, is this normal? Does everyone feel like this when they have a breakup? Like, what, what's going on with me? Yeah, totally. (laughs) Let's talk about surviving a breakup. Yeah. I'm just having flashbacks to that to that last breakup. I think I already said this a few minutes ago, but I didn't realize my body was capable of experiencing that much pain. Mm. And at the time, it was all my partner's fault. Like, even though I knew what it was, but as that grew, it was like half of me was grieving the loss of someone who was obviously important in my life, you know, a best friend, a partner. The other part is grieving the fact that I'm, I'm holding a lot of blame, right? I can mm. actually f- feel like I wish I did things differently because I fucked this up. Mm-hmm. The other part of me is sitting there. What did I read this? That going through a breakup is like the same like chemicals your body feels like going through a drug withdrawal. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when they've done um, fMRI scans of the brain of people yeah. newly separated, they yeah. saw the same part of the brain is activated as a drug user going through a withdrawal feeding for their next fix. So you're physically in withdrawal. And so all those chemicals in the beginning of a relationship, like dopamine and obsessed over your this person and like everything's perfect, all those chemicals that make that romance lust part happen, mm-hmm. it's the same thing, but in reverse when you're going so through a breakup. So crazy because it, that was the most shocking thing. It's honestly, I find it actually super weird because you know, when you're in it, you're like, am I going to be like this for the rest of my life? There's nothing worse I've ever felt. And I look back to think like, when did I stop feeling like that? <laughs> like, when did I start to be okay? But for there, there was a while, I would say probably for about six weeks, I had zero appetite, yeah. could not stomach food, cried to the point where I would, my body was physically crying, but no tears were coming out. Like I was cried out, you know, <laughs> you used up I, your reservoir of tears. <laughs> yeah. the res- Like we were in a drought, but my body, it was the weirdest feeling. I'm like, how am I crying? But no tears are coming out. And 
I would just, I just remember saying to myself, like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get out of this. Mm -hmm. Is this, is this normal? And luckily one of my best friends is a love and relationship coach. And the thought, like in hindsight, I don't know how I would have got that through that without her. Yeah. But it also got me thinking, like, how do people get through this without like a best friend like this? Like, what do people do? Yeah. So well, hopefully they buy my book. <laughs> hopefully they're buying your book. So I would actually love to have some more dialogue of what what are some good things to do or what do you coach people through when they're experiencing this overwhelming amount of pain? Right. So there's there's six stages of grief that follow um, after separation, which are very similar to the stages of grief when you're grieving a death. Mm-hmm. Um, and it begins at shock, then there's um, denial, then depression, then anger, then bargaining slash denial. That's when you go into like, oh, well, maybe I can make it work. And that's when you might even get back together with the ex. And then you get to a place of acceptance. Um, now, it's important to note that healing isn't linear and you will jump back and forth between the different stages, right? That's why at moments you'll be like, oh my God, like I'm, I'm totally healed. Like hear me roar. And then you see a photo on Instagram that triggers you. And then you're in fetal position crying. You're like, oh my God, it's all that work for nothing. Um, and this is totally normal. And yeah. so I think I'd like, you know, there's different strategies based on what stage you're in. And I think, you know, to deal with the very beginning stage, which is shock, it's extremely important to um, completely detox from your ex. So I say 60 days is the minimum. And then you check in with yourself and you remove their social media. You block their phone number because you also don't want to keep thinking and wondering if they're going to be contacting you. Let me and tell you, you what I didn't do in my relationship, <laughs> my breakup. Right. I made myself readily available with the hope of a potential get back for about yes. 37 days. Okay. <laughs> right. It's like, like and that's such suffering, right? It totally <laughs> just, you're like, oh my God, oh my gosh. Up, yeah. I, went, I broke up like 17 times, I felt like. I'm like, wow, in hindsight, wouldn't it have been easier if I just dealt with it once? Yeah, totally. So like rip the bandaid off and, yeah. and have that conversation if you need to. And it doesn't have to be vicious or aggressive. It could be like, hey, like I'm going to focus on my self-care and my healing right now. I would please respect my wishes to have absolutely no contact for 60 days. At that point, if I feel ready, I'll reach out. Um, and and then, you know, you, you know, go Marie Kondo your life, right? From digital, you know, from photos to text messages to reminders around your home. If you need to, if you don't want to get rid of their stuff, put it in a box and put it away because you don't want these things to constantly be reminders because they're going to trigger you. They're anchors. And so something to keep in mind is when you're in a relationship with someone, you have neural pathways that have been wired together. If you're constantly going down memory lane, um, you're not allowing those neural pathways to prune away. And if you're going to your ex for, uh, you know, whether it's comfort or if you want to just stir up a fight, even when you're getting into, you know, a fight with a person, you're still getting that hit of endorphins. And so you're craving those chemicals after a breakup because your body and your brain is in a complete state of shock. It doesn't matter that, okay, there's been an agreement that you've broken up. Your body's like, what the fuck? Give me those chemicals. So when you're craving, you know, checking their Instagram stories, that's really your brain craving a hit of dopamine. And you got to think of your ex like they're your drug dealer. And um, you're going to go through withdrawal. So you need to prepare for that. And so understand that the emotional intensity of withdrawals usually last between 20 to 30 minutes. You can make it for that amount of time. When you don't know that, you're like, oh my God, it's going to last forever. And then you might do the thing and contact them. And so create a list of things that you can do, which is your go-to strategy for when that withdrawal hits. Um, That might mean you go for a jog, you put your phone down. That might mean, um, you know, I tell people to throw a breakup party, you know, get your closest friends on Zoom to tell you why they love you the most, record it, and you watch that. That will give you those feel-good chemicals. Uh, Put on your dance playlist, shake it out. Doing a state change is really important because um, it kind of knocks you out of that state. 
Also, if you are feeling anxious and you have adrenaline pumping in your body, you actually need that adrenaline to move through your body. So you have to be proactive and create that list. And it's not going to be easy, but the you know, first few times you do it, you realize like, oh, it actually does go away that craving. And you start creating new neural pathways and the old ones start to prune away. Another really important thing is, yes, I agree in the very beginning, tell your story, you know, vent, I would say free flow journal, meaning put a timer for 15, 20 minutes and just write whatever comes out. This is a really great way to get all that stuff that's in your head out um, of your subconscious. Mm -hmm. But there comes to a point where you have to just stop re-traumatizing yourself. And if you're constantly vilifying your ex, if you're blaming your ex, if you're hoping for your ex to change, you're still in a relationship with your ex. And that emotional charge keeps you hooked. And sometimes we hold on to the pain because that's the last part of the relationship that we've got left. Um, And so, and then I would say third thing, um, do not feed your emotional monster. So our emotions... Um, they want to get as big as they possibly can and want to stick around for as long as they can. So when you're feeling sadness, do not play Coldplay Fix You on repeat. That's what I did. Do not watch <laughs> Love Actually. so much Coldplay, like the most depressed bitch. <laughs> yeah, right? And we're like listening to these songs and like watching these love movies and you're just crying more. That's, you know, one of our coaches calls that emotional cutting. You're actually emotionally cutting. And so you have to stop feeding that emotion. It's okay to feel your emotion and process it. It's another thing to feed it. We feed it by attaching stories, by, you know, doing what's called thinking traps. And I talk about this a lot in my book. There's a whole list of all these thinking traps from catastrophizing, I'll never love again, to these stories and assumptions. Like, I gave them the best years of my life. All these things turns your story into this huge narrative that's now going to control your life. So separate the fact from the fiction. Yeah, man, there's just so much to unpack there. And I can tell you one thing, one thing you didn't talk about. Obviously, everyone Googles, you know, (laughs) they're in a break like, oh, holy fuck, what do I do? I'm in a breakup. I can tell you right now, this information is not at the top of the list. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's really not. The internet is filled with horrible advice. Like, let me just clear this up. Did I handle my breakup in the most graceful way possible? No. Okay. Do I wish I handled my breakup better? 1000%. And I'm not talking about one. I'm talking about all of them. Not just one. Okay. But I'm telling you right now that information on the internet is not good. It's all like how to get your ex back, like do these things to do this. And it's just, it's like you said, it's like emotional cutting. It feeds you with all of this, this stuff that's not healthy. Yeah. And there's also breakup body, like looks so hot. And like, you know, so much weight after my breakup. Yes. And people are like, oh my God. And I'm like, okay, well, it wasn't healthy. I was depressed. I struggled finishing a smoothie Yeah, for six days, like for, sorry, for six weeks, could barely finish a smoothie, would force myself to work out twice a day to distract myself. And then somehow, ironically, after that, I got diagnosed with the hormonal condition and all that oh. weight came back on. Like, I, you know, I start to think back into like how things could have happened in my life. I'm like doing that for six weeks, probably really fucked up my body. Right. Yeah. It's a very common thing. I stopped eating too. And the reason why is because, so after a breakup, like to the one that you had, which was quite traumatic, um, your nervous system is in fight or flight. So it's like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Um, So in that state, it puts your appetite on like the seventh on the priority list because it's like focusing on everything else because it feels like it's under attack. Um, And so that's why you actually need to force yourself to eat. I did the same thing. The only thing I could do was I forced myself to have smoothies because I was withering away. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like get that nutrition in, the green juice, like something that I could easily get in my body. Yeah. So, so traumatizing. And you talked about, I think, okay. So one of the things that I was most relevant for me or something that really stood out for me was after it happened, my last breakup. I went in my phone 
to go tell people what had just happened. And I realized within one swipe, like one little scroll, I was already six weeks back in my texts. And it was the first realization to think, what the fuck, Allie? You stopped talking to everyone. You stopped having a life. Like, who who have you really been hanging out with? What happened to all your friends? And that's a really hard realization. Mm-hmm. Super hard. When I had to rebuild my friendship, I was lucky, my friendships, because I, I was lucky because I could be very selective as to what I brought in my life. But I also feel like there's not a lot of education around enrollment for or like how to enroll people around you to support with the breakup because you mm-hmm. kind of brought it brought it up a little bit with like that toxic kind of like ripping that bandaid off like the constant shit talking or like you don't need to have your friend shit talk your ex you don't yeah. need to have you know what I mean there has to be that clear like okay let me vent for a second but at what point like you have to set a boundary of like okay I'm not we're not, I'm not going to accept this kind of conversation around it. But also, how do you enroll your friends to call you out to be like, we're not talking about this anymore? Yeah, I think that, you know, our friends and family, they're well-intentioned. They love us. Totally. But they're, they're not equipped to give us advice. A lot of times they're not equipped to hold space for someone going through totally. something like this, right? And so I think it's, you know, it is up to us to communicate and, um, you know, I think it's important to let people know that vilifying the ex just adds more emotional charge. It's yeah. trauma bound. It's, it's, yeah. it's bonding on pain. Um, it's like eating junk food feels good in the moment. It's horrible for you in the long run. And so um, I think that, you know, you tell your friends, like, this is how you can best support me right now. Please don't, you know, bash him. Don't bash me. All I need right now is to feel safe and seen. Um, and like, you know, there's going to be times when I'm going to confide in you. I'm not looking for advice. I just need to express myself. And if I'm ever kind of going, if I'm spiraling, please, I'm giving you like total permission to just be like, hey, just you told me I had you know permission to do this, but it feels like you're kind of spiraling right now. Yeah. Kind of snap me out, you know, mm-hmm. like do things like take, go on a walk with me, you know, go exercise with me, call in and check up on me. And maybe not, you know, like we don't talk about the X, right? Um, I think it's up to you to have those conversations. And that's just a, even a practice of, you know, being able to communicate needs and setting boundaries, right? Which a lot of us are also not taught. And then that bleeds into our relationships. I mean, I only learned how to, you know, set boundaries, like probably a few years ago. I have just recorded a few episodes on this and I get so heated trying to figure out why it was like, it wasn't until after that last breakup that I was like, I did this year long course and it was like, Hey, you know, one of the first things you're going to do, like establish your needs and your boundaries. And I was like, what? What are those? (laughs) Okay, so it's apparent you don't have any in your life. Great, great place to start. Let's just work up from here. (laughs) Oh, God. They don't teach you this at school, right? Like, I learned how to dissect a frog. I didn't learn any of this fucking life stuff. (laughs) I just posted a meme this morning that it was just like, (laughs) me, like, how do I do my taxes? Public school, shut the fuck up and square dance. And I was like, yeah, that's so painfully accurate. We had to square dance in grade four and I don't know the login to do my taxes. So here we are. Everything's great. Uh, Okay. Let's move through the breakup flow. Okay. So we've talked about some of the reasons in terms of personal patterns that can contribute to a relationship, not being successful or not thriving, Mm. you know, resulting in a breakup. And what are some of the things people can do outside of their relationships to work on this stuff? Because it's like, I don't have a problem with codependency right now. I'm not doing anything with anyone. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So how I don't want, I don't want to have to have a new discovery. Like, obviously you're always going to be mindful, right? The next person I'm in a relationship with, oh, I noticed this coming up. But in this space in between that people have, how do we start actually working on figuring out our attachment style, figuring out, like building that really nice foundation that will set us up for success for our next relationship? Yeah, I think that whether you're anxiously attached or avoidantly attached, those are two, you know, sides of the same coin. They both come from the same root fear 
which is a fear of intimacy being safe. One fears that intimacy will uh, take away their freedom. One fears that intimacy will result in rejection and abandonment. Um, and so they look very different in how the behavior is, but it comes from the same thing. Right. And so, you know, I think the very first thing is um, look at who is in your entire village because who you're, con- you know, who you're constantly exposed to, that is shaping your brain. It's influencing your actual brain. And so, you know, there's an exercise that I have in the, in my book where, which is you evaluate who are the 10 people you're exposed to the most? And this might not even be people that you want to. It could be your coworker. It could be your neighbor. It could be your dog walker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you categorize them. Are they high safety, medium safety, or low safety? Low safety is you feel judged. You don't feel safe. You're anxious around them. It really triggers your nervous system. High safety is you feel safe and seen and loved. And, and kind of take a look and assessment of your entire village. I really recommend people to do that before they even obsess over like, who am I going to date, you know, during a pandemic, look at all of that. Because if you're operating where most of your relationships are, you know, are low safety, and that's who you're exposed to, you're not building the necessary neural pathways for healthy connection and trust. That is going to have an immediate impact in how you relate romantically once you're in a relationship. And so if you if you kind of get your village, in check, right? And part of this could be like, okay, you want to invest more into these people. Okay, that means you make a plan, right? Send them flowers, you know, do a Zoom date, whatever it is. Low safety people, how can you start decreasing your exposure to those people? Through time that will help you, you know, create those necessary neural pathways for healthy connection and trust. So I think that's number one. Um, And I think number two is, you know, yeah, doing that that pie exercise and making sure that whether you're in a relationship or you're single, you kind of get into the habit of having creating balance in your life, right? Because we can get off balance in in many different ways. We can even get mm-hmm. off balance of like, okay, now 80% is is just work. Like, where are you kind of overcompensating in areas and what are you trying to hide? What are you trying to shove down? by kind of not dealing with it and just kind of going full force into this other thing. And I think third is look at your relationship with giving and receiving. I find that people who have tendencies to be more codependent or anxiously attached usually have a, an issue with being able to receive. They tend to overgive. Um, it's a coping mechanism that like has me. been learned, I'm right? my hand. <laughs> yeah. So like, it, you know, when you look at it, the root belief often comes from a place of like, I am not enough. So yeah. I'm not enough as I am. Yeah. So if I do this, then I'll get it. I'll earn it. Yeah. And so in your in your relationships now, right? Like do an exercise where you actually just receive. I actually tell people after the boot camp, they do a, a exercise of a week of asks. And you start off with a very low stakes, low risk ask, right? Um, so, you know, before that, this could be at the grocery store where you have groceries and you might just ask that stranger, like, oh, do you mind opening the door for me? Very low risk. If someone says no, does it matter? Right. Then you build your way up every day with with a, an ass that's a little bit more. Right. The next one could be like, OK, I'm going to ask my my you know five closest friends to write a review for me on my podcast. Okay, I feel a little uncomfortable, but okay, I'm going to do it, right? Why is that so hard? (laughs) I know. It's so wild that it's taking me this long to be like, oh, I don't want to buy, oh, I don't, you know, maybe, uh, like, what's the worst that can happen? They say no. Sorry, I'm busy. I'd be like, okay, I'll remind you tomorrow. I had, I just asked my parents to help me invest a little part of my business. This was a very hard year for me. Mm. You know, I've worked extremely hard. For these last few years to build up to what I thought 2020 would be and talk about blindsided, just whole rug pulled from underneath me. Yeah. So I'm not where I thought I was going to be and what I had planned for, and that's okay. And I felt like such a failure going to my parents, mm-hmm. but like, can you help me? I'm, I, th- this is very important to me. Can, can you help me to do this? Yeah. And of course, they were like, like, don't get me wrong. My parents aren't like, give me whatever I want. They were never like that. But when it came down to like helping and supporting, your circle's going to help you do that. And that's what they're there for. But that was the biggest noticing that I've I've had over these last few months is 
why is it so hard for me, A, to receive compliments? It's very right. difficult. I can't even say thank you. I'll like make a joke about it. I deflect. Right. It's so hard for me to receive and it's so hard for me to ask for certain things that I want. Yeah. And and it is a muscle that you practice because yeah. you're uncomfortable with it, right? And so that's why, you know, escalating the size of ask up to the seventh day and the seventh day could be that bigger ask. I wouldn't go right away if yeah. you, you know, struggle with this, like <laughs> suddenly like, hey, can I borrow 10,000 bucks? Like probably not. Um, and, and I think that it's a really helpful practice because you notice all of your discomforts and the stories you create in your head. Um, you notice how you do deal when someone says no or when someone says yes. And the yeah. thing is, if you cannot receive, you're not in relation, right? You know, if you're constantly the one giving, um, there's reasons why we do this, right? One is it's a way of controlling. Um, I, I, I used to resent people because I was like, oh, I'm just always giving. When I look back at why I did it, yeah. yes, it came from a roots, like insecurity of not being enough. But second, it made me feel like I was in control. If I was constantly giving, you needed me more than I needed you. So yeah. you're not going to reject me. And so, and all three, it was a way of avoiding intimacy. Because if I'm constantly giving and I'm not receiving, I'm actually not bonding with you. And so, it, you know, like, think about if you don't grow this muscle, when you are in a relationship, Someone could be trying to give you all this love and you can't receive it. It's completely blocked. And then you go get resentful and you blame the other person. And, you know, I, I talked to uh, my partner about this and he said something so interesting. He's like, there's a hundred percent. If you come in right off the bat, giving 80, you're only giving me 20%. It adds up to a hundred. And I'm like, oh my God, you're so right. So I think we need to kind of practice these muscles before we're actually even in a relationship or if you're in one, practice that as well, right? But um, this is going to affect all of your relationships, not just your romantic one. Yeah. How do you think, do you think it's a good idea for when people are entering relationship to have these difficult conversations to learn about their, their partner's attachment style and how they kind of operate and, you know, accept it? You know what I mean? to kind of be on the same page of like, okay, what's going to be our agreement here? What's going to be our relationship? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I would do this. I would have upfront conversations um, when I really struggle with my anxious attachment style and be like, Hey, just as a heads up, like, you know, I, these are my triggers. Um, this is how I typically reacted. It's something I'm working on. And I'm telling you not because you need to do anything about it, but I just want you to understand kind of what I'm working through. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think that's a conversation you have in the first few dates. I think the first few dates is about having fun, making it light, you're creating connection. Does that kind of spark go into something else? And then when you see it getting to a point where like, okay, this actually has legs, like this could be something, um, that's when you could start having these conversations. Yeah. I think it's just so funny that we avoid, we're afraid of the outcome where we avoid those difficult conversations. Again, fueling some sort of subconscious story that we have about ourselves because yeah. we're afraid of what we're going to say. And then we just, I don't want to say waste time, but they're important conversations to have. So you're not eight months, three years, five years down the line, hoping that something's going to work when you're really sitting in fear of like your full expression. Yeah, totally agree. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Okay. So last thing I want to speak to you on, I know that you speak about this a lot, but how people can create healthy love. Yeah. I mean, um, the happiest relationships come from one happy person and another happy person, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that one is who you choose. And um, if you have a history of choosing people who are unhealthy for you, do some digging because again, the common denominator are your patterns, right? Mm -hmm. Who are you? I talk about having a chemistry compass, which is our internal GPS that draws us to who we're drawn to and repulses us from people. If you are repulsed by people who are loving and supportive and secure mm -hmm. and you find them boring and that's a turnoff, that's an indication that your chemistry compass is broken because human beings, we are drawn to what's familiar. So if you didn't have a model of healthy love growing up, you're going to be 
drawn to that. I had a very unavailable father. I had to earn love and attention. I got that when I got good grades. And that pattern persisted as I grew older. The same emotional experience repeated because that's what I was comfortable in. So I had attraction and chemistry with people who could wound me in a very similar way to how I was wounded as a child. And so, yes, do the work and, and, and go dive into deep into that. Um, and then I think next is figuring out what do you want to create in your life, right? Mm-hmm. So many of us have a list of, I know I used to, like I, at one point in my twenties, I would only date DJs and club owners, right? In my thirties, I would only date tech <laughs> entrepreneurs and you had to be a CEO. Um, and I was right. like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and like, you know, and, and I'm like, they have to make this amount of money and blah, 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 blah. They have to go to Burning Man, whatever. Um, it, And and none of this got me closer to love. Um, The superficial list was, you know, on a cognitive level, uh, these ideas that I had of what my type was. Um, And I actually even, someone tried to set me up with my now partner and I had said no, because I was like, oh yeah, not my type. Um, And so focus on how you want to feel. And and know that the package of how that person's going to be might look very different from what you expect. And the research actually shows who we actually end up choosing in in marriages looks very different from the people we had written down on a list. Um, and, And don't cut yourself short because there's actually potential partners circling around us all the time. I think we need to stop having blinders and focusing on certain types Um, and giving people a chance because you really don't know. And then when you're in the relationship, I think, you know, understand that nourishing like a plant and that you are going to be gifted the chemicals of lust for the first eight months to two years. That's when it starts to, you know, starts to die or like change into a different chemical experience. Right. And so that momentum is eventually going to go away. And so, you know, you have to kind of set up your relationship for success. And that might mean check ins. That might mean like, you know, you you do things that keep your balance, um, whatever those things are so that they don't blow up because it's a lot easier to work on, you know, things before they become a problem than reacting to a problem that's now blown up. I love that you said that because there's this whole fucking misconception and it drives me bonkers because it's even been said to me from past partners, like it shouldn't be this much work. It Mm. shouldn't be this hard. If it's like, it should just be so easy if you're like totally in love with that person. And I'm like, can we normalize (laughs) that not being the norm? Because it's not. Yeah. And we're afraid to have these conversations or like these quote unquote hard conversations with our partners. Why are they hard? Yeah, because I mean, we are our most vulnerable selves. You know, we are exposing the parts of us that we don't expose to the entire world. And um, our inner child, you know, a lot of us are operating with our hurt inner child Mm -hmm. uh, that comes and and kind of rules the show. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, how did you react to conflict, to uncomfortable emotions when you were five? How did your partner? Because chances are, unless you've done work to interrupt that pattern, you're going to react the same way now when you're triggered. And your partner is, yes, holding up a mirror to help you work through that so you can communicate like a functional adult and not just become hurt little Amy who would have tantrums when she didn't get what she wanted or the slam the door and hid from emotions, right? You've got to deal with that, whether it's with this person or the next person. Now, I don't, you know, I don't think it's that hard in terms of these relationships where you're constantly guessing, do they love me? Do they not love me? Are they going to leave me? No, that's not love right? If you are working so hard to, to see if someone wants to be with you, that's probably not your person. Um, but when you're actually in the relationship, hard things happen and you're yeah. going to go through them. Yeah. How many of those hard things come from like people, like you, you talked about that honeymoon phase, you know, that lust phase. Do you think most of the problems kind of spent like stem from there when people are like, oh, the spark's not there. It's like, oh, I mean, it's too much work or like realizing I actually have to put some work into this and it causes the friction. It, yeah, it really depends. So there are some people, especially those who are more avoidantly attached, um, that after the sparks are gone and there's not that rush, 
they were like, oh, like, this is boring. Like, yeah. you know, why would I want this when I could have excitement all the time? Yeah. And you see people, especially also people who are um, love addicts, they'll sometimes keep just chasing the highs, right? Whether they're chasing the high of a new relationship or they're chasing the high of drugs, it's really yeah. the same sort yeah. of a pattern. Um, and then there's, yeah, there's people who after the chemicals start to fade away that you question like, oh my God, like, is this love? Because it's not what I see in the movies. Um, what do you see like in movies and shows and Bridgerton, right? What the hell is a message that's still being told to us to this very day? You we can, can have change well whenever you want. Exactly. <laughs> we can change someone. We can change someone who completely doesn't want to be in a relationship and a marriage and then change them, hook them into getting married, hook them into being a family man, like from Sex in the City, right? I chased Mr. Big Fantasy my entire life. There's all these ideas of what love should be. That's not love. That's uh, codependence, love addiction sprinkled with limerence and lust. Um, and so love is actually kind of boring because it's stable. It's secure. You know, that person's got your back. They're, they're, they're your rock and, and you're there. You know, there isn't this like, oh my God, like intensity of like, am I going to lose it? Um, and so I think we mistaken what love is and I don't blame you. Like we're, it's kind of all over our culture. Yeah. Man, that's so true. I remember I had a bit of like a, a love interest maybe a year or so ago. And I kind of questioned it at the beginning because I was just like, you know, this person presented themselves and I didn't feel that crazy spark. You know, I'm like, I don't know. I'm not really attracted to him. Not that I'm not attracted, but like, I don't feel this passion. I don't feel this. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not getting what I think I'm supposed to be getting from it. But ultimately I asked for these five things and here's this person showing up, giving me what I want. And I'm like, mm. but I don't want to have sex in a stairwell with him, right? We're not on Bridgerton vibes yet. And I remember Kelsey saying to me at the time, she was like, I actually love that you're having this experience because we have this idea, we've romanticized this idea that like in order for us to explore a relationship, there instantly has to be this fucking crazy sparks like out of this world, like, you know, attraction in order for that person to be worthy of building a relationship when some of the strongest relationships out there come, they don't start off like that. Totally. And it's, you know, especially when I say in the past or chemistry compass has pointed you in the wrong direction, yeah. that 10 out of 10, I want to rip your clothes off attraction is usually, it's not a green light. It's a big fucking red stop sign. Well, so, obviously none of them are my fucking right? husband. So <laughs> That didn't work out for me. Right? Because you, you can subconsciously, on a subconscious level, you have a radar yeah. that can that can point to someone and be like, oh my God, you could wound me in that exact way. Right. And so that's where we get that thing. And so attraction is on a spectrum, right? You don't want to go to zero where you're like, oh, I don't want to be around this person. Like, Dude, don't touch me. Obviously yeah. Not. But also like 10 out of 10, I know for me, the 10 out of 10s are like, I should run the other direction because I know from my patterns and history that those have never turned out. And, and so you can, I think what's important when you're dating is don't worry so much about like, is this the one, all that stuff. You just need to ask yourself, am I having a good time? Do I want to see this person again? Sometimes your brain doesn't cognitively process it as romantic chemistry until later. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you know that, that warrants another date. If the next time you're like, oh, I'm having fun. I want to see this person again. Warrants another one. And so just go by that versus this crazy pressure of like, are you the one? Like, oh my God, why don't I have explosion sexual attraction? Because you'll be surprised. It might actually even grow. Yeah. Sometimes I just honestly speaking, I know this is contradicting what you're saying, but this is why you're the expert and I'm single. So <laughs> sometimes I don't know. I've just been with that guy I was just speaking about, the one that I was like, I don't know if I'm feeling it. I remember he was like everything that I asked for. And my friends called me out on it because they're like, okay, you said you wanted this. He, without you asking, just did it. What did you want? Tell me I was, those five things. What were they? Okay. I was looking for something that I'm very attracted to is a man that is fully in his masculine. And when I, when I say that, 
I mean, I feel like I possess, I'm always functioning a lot in my masculine. I run my Mm -hmm. own business. I manage people. I'm an entrepreneur. I go, go, go. You know what I mean? And I've had a hard time or it's taken me a longer time to actually soften into my feminine and feel like I don't have to call the shots. You Mm -hmm. know, I don't know if dominance is the right word, but I'm looking, I wanted someone to be like, we're going to do this. I'm doing this. Like, let's go. You know what I mean? Just kind of call yeah. the shots. And we started talking. The conversation was great. And he said, what are you doing on Friday? And I said, <laughs> nothing. And he was like, great. You're meeting me at this restaurant because I have a dinner booked for us already. And I said, Hot. right. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if I want to go to dinner. And my friends are like, the fuck is wrong with you? You, he literally just like did everything you said you wanted. You didn't even have that conversation. And here the universe is like, here it is. He's showing up. So like, give him the opportunity to like, to go to that dinner. And I go to the dinner and the conversation's great. And he was, he ends up sharing a little bit with me. He actually says, I'm, I was almost canceled dinner on you because I ended up finding your social media and it intimidated me. And I didn't, I, I placed a story on you. I didn't know what to expect. And I was like, I'm a little turned off now, but okay, I'll just sit down at dinner. And I said, well, to be honest, I've been scared to go out on a date in general. So why don't we just agree to go have a nice dinner? And if at any point one of us is not feeling it, we can just openly say it and you're free to go. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? No pressure. Let's just have a nice dinner. And the dinner was great. I left not feeling very attracted to him, but I thought the meal was nice and it was pouring rain. There were no cabs. I was driving and I said I would drive him home and I knew he was going to go in for the kiss. And in my seat, I was like, don't fucking do it. Don't <laughs> I hate fucking that feeling. I'm like, I'm like I'm not, okay, bye. Like, see ya. I'm like, like, don't look at him. Then he can't kiss you. You know, what's he going to do? Oh my God. So I said, Were you driving like this? Yeah. I was like, uh-huh. Okay. Why did I do this? Again, me giving, not listening to my intuition, but it's okay. Fine. Just do it anyways. So I know this guy is going to go in for the kiss and I go to give him a hug and I like do the, the cheek. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's a sure sign for me. If my body is being like, don't touch me, then I probably shouldn't see him again. And... My friends, again, were like, can you relax? Like, you're figuring out a million reasons of why this isn't your person, but it wasn't actually a bad date. So can you just go out with him again and maybe you'll change your mind after a few dates? Like, what do you have Mm -hmm. to lose? Mm -hmm. So I ended up seeing him again. He went in for the makeout. The makeout was mediocre at best, and I just couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. But it was in that experience where, you know, again, my girlfriends did say to me, allow yourself to repaint that picture, re rewire your body, retell that story of how you need relationships to manifest in your life. Because what you have been doing, this romanticizing of that mm-hmm. like man about to like bust down the door and come sweep you off your feet, it might happen, but 99% chance it's not going to happen. <laughs> mm. Yeah. You know, I, it's, I, I think that there's a middle ground too though, right? Like, yeah. This person, it seems like from the very beginning with that conversation, something was off with rapport and your subconscious is picking signals up before your logical brain can process it. So in your brain, you're like, oh no, like everything's fine kind of, and you can't place it on something. You're like, well, he asked me on a date. He paid for dinner. He did all the right things, but something doesn't feel right. Like it's, it's because your subconscious is probably picking up something, right? Just like how I could pick up when someone's lying. Like they haven't done anything or said anything, but I know because I can now in my body feel like, oh, I actually know this person is lying. And so I think that it's okay to tap into your inner intuition. Um, And and so you don't just go for people who do the right things, but there's also something feeling a bit off. I just think that I, it's half, it's like my intuition's so strong. Yeah. But I do feel like a lot of the times I will try and be honest with myself to say like, why are you actually not going? Mm-hmm. I block myself from opportunities because it's not that instant connection. It's not that. So I'm kind of in that, I'm in that, on that line, doing that dance a little bit of like, okay, you'd be proud of me. I went out on a date with someone that I was like, you know what? Just give him a chance. 
And then I went out and I was like, I'm never doing that again. It was just like, I can't, <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. Girl, I have been on one date in the last year. Mm. One. In the last two years, I have been on maybe four. I'm as single as it gets. It's like I've been living in this pandemic since like it, since the Ice Age. <laughs> but that's a whole other podcast topic. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I seriously appreciate it. I know that everyone listening probably had some amazing takeaways. I feel like you guys have a lot to learn about. Are you codependent? What's your attachment style? Um, oh my God, I'm going to butcher it. What's the attachment book that everyone needs to read? Attached. Attached. I was going to call it attachment. Attached. It does like great work of starting to figure out like, okay, which one of these, which one of these am I, you know, just kind of being more self-aware, but outside of doing the work themselves, why don't you tell us what you're up to now, how people can work with you, how they can connect with you a little bit about your book, everything you got going on. Yeah. So my website's renewbreakupbootcamp.com. I'm running virtual breakup bootcamps. Um, so anyone's welcome to join that. It's three days, uh, eight different experts. Um, and we have a tried and tested system that works to help people not only move forward from the past once and for all, but to shift and rewire those old subconscious patterns and beliefs that's blocking them from creating the love that they want to create. Um, first with themselves, which ripple effects to the relationships they have with others. Um, and my book, Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart, it's really not just about breakups. It's for anyone single, dating, divorced, or in between. Uh, it's about relationship patterns. So if you're not satisfied with your relationship outcomes, this is, you know, the best experts, all the tools that we have tested with hundreds of, and thousands of people that work. Um, and on Instagram, I'm at Miss Amy Chan. I love that. I'm going to link all that information in the show notes for everyone listening. And Amy, you will, now I feel like you're invested in my life. So I'm just going to send you little updates every time. Yeah. You got to tell me. I'll totally <laughs> set you up too. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, we're going to hang up this podcast and then we're just going to continue to have a private conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Unfiltered with Ali. Just a friendly reminder that I have new episodes that drop every single week, including some bonus content called Honey Check, co-hosted with my best friend, Jenna Garrell, where we catch up for some classic girl talk. If you like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe to the show. And of course, leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Not only do I love hearing what you guys think of the episodes, but it helps support the show so much. Lastly, be sure to connect with me over on Instagram at, at unfilteredwithally. You'll be able to access a ton of extra content from each of the episodes slide into my dms and you can find the link for my free online facebook community this is designed for inspiring badass women all around the world i can't wait to chat with you next week bye